It's a good win. There's a lot of people. It's like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes on. But eat a damn snack. You're like my wife when you get in space. You just get lost. Short steps are better than long steps. That's the only time in your life you're gonna hit short is better than long. What's up everyone? Welcome back to 614 Headsets. It's another week. It's Wednesday. This is coming out to you on Thursday. Tom Brady said it best. Football is unconditional love. We're three high school coaches from the 614 area that just can't get enough of this game. That's why we keep doing what we're doing. We're excited about season two. Boys, say hello to everybody. Ten days, that's all I got to say. Ten days away mm -hmm. from our coaches clinic. The first one, a free one's going to be a blast. Make sure you guys look, though. We did switch locations because the one at Westerville was a little bit too small after we looked at the sign-up sheet now. Yep. Hey, what's up, everyone? We got some big things coming in, so we appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, however you get your media. Make sure you subscribe, be a part of this journey with us. Hey, we can't wait. Yeah, the clinic's growing every day. Somebody's hit me up every day. Somebody's been telling us that, that they just found the show and they love it. Please keep doing that. Like, it's not a selfish thing. Sometimes we're just doing this show and we don't know what people think. And we've gotten some great criticisms at times that have helped us grow this show. So if you're listening to us, if you like anything about it, if you think there's something we can do better, reach out. This is a podcast by coaches for coaches. That's what our slogan is going to be moving forward as we do things a little bit that's what we're really gearing to do it's been the networking side that's been the the hidden love and benefit for me and all the conversations and people that we've gotten to talk to and meet has been the, the hidden benefit i didn't expect from doing this tonight we can't wait to get started but before we do uh this show is brought to you by fundraising university fundraising university of ohio offers a variety of fundraising efforts that helps football teams run profitable effective and fast-paced fundraisers designed to raise the most money in the shortest amount of time to reach their fundraising goals Fundraising University Ohio is locally owned, operated, and with their six-step blitz system will help your team maximize profits. As a current coach himself, Brent Maxwell with Fundraising University will sit down and help you pick, plan, strategize, and execute your fundraiser that will allow you as a coach to focus on your practice time, prep time, player development, personal time. If you're interested in us running a fundraiser for you, please contact Brent Maxwell at bmaxwell at fundraising, the letter u.net or 740-501-8946. Don't know how you get started with fundraising. Brent's going to be at the clinic. Would love for all of you to meet him. And if you're interested at all, even if you think you're going to start in the summer, it'd be a great opportunity to talk about, hey, I'm interested. Hear what Fundraising University or how can do for you. And you can start that playing process. So when you get all your players back in the summer, you're ready to roll. Enjoy the show. Hey, and joining us today is uh, Jeff Mullen. Jeff has coached D1 football for over 25 years, some of the likes of Ohio University, Wake Forest, West Virginia, UNC Charlotte, and now Jeff is now the head coach of the Big O System, which he takes all of that experience and knowledge and uses it to grow this great game, which is very much what we're a part of as well. Jeff was an All-American defensive back for the Wittenberg Tigers and uh, has close ties to the 614 area. Just doing a little background on Jeff. Jeff got his, his start in coaching in 1990 at Hamilton Township High School. The Rangers, what's up, Varney? I know you're listening. I know you hear that. Reach out to this man. Give him some love. 
And then from there, got his start at Hawaii University, Ohio University after that. He coached, looks like, tackles and tight ends and running backs for a while. 2001 to 2007, went to Wake Forest University. And then when you look at the big popper, 28 to 2010, offensive coordinator QBs, West Virginia State, Pat White, and then had the opportunity from 2011, 2017 to help start the UNC Charlotte program, be the offensive coordinator. And then ever since 2018 has been working in the national preps range, as well as this big O systems. Without further ado, Coach Jeff Mullen, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're excited to have you on. We can't wait to pick your brain tonight, man. Look forward to it. Appreciate the time. So talk to us, Coach. Talk to us about your uh, ties to the area. We're 614 headsets. We're three high school coaches from the area that just live and love this game. You put out a very passionate tweet today about where you're from and why you're about the 614 uh, for everybody that's tuning in tonight, just go ahead and maybe fill them in about your background and, and, and what's gotten to this point today. Yeah, the grace of God's gotten me to this point, and that's a fact. But grew up in Lima, went to college in Springfield, Ohio, Wittenberg, as you mentioned. Got a GA job, at, or actually then coached at Hamilton Township for Bruce Kotlinski for a year in Columbus. Got a GA job a couple years later that led to a full-time job in Athens, Ohio, the southeastern part. My wife is from Cleveland. I recruited from I-70 Cambridge over to Wheeling, 77 from Cambridge up to Stark County, Summit County, right in there where that split happens, and then 76 over to Mahoning and, and Trumbull County, that box there for seven years. So feel like I've been in every corner of that state and certainly refer to it at home with, as home with a lot of love. Cambridge, that's right down by the, the river, right? Recruited Belair and Martins Ferry. Steuben. The Valley. Those yeah. are the Valley guys. So, that's what they call themselves. Lookout's <laughs> still down there. He's the man. My uncle used to coach basketball for Coshocton and Claymont High School, and I remember showing up at Cambridge High School one time, and it was like, a different world. I felt like we drew. I felt like we were on a drive to vacation. We roll up into Cambridge High School to watch a basketball game. It's funny to hear you. I haven't thought about Cambridge since then, man. That's interesting to hear. You that. don't hear about that place too much down in the valley. Though I got to give a shout out to Bruni. That was from Martin's Ferry. Dave Bruni over there. His son Zach was my was the OC at Ohio Dominican when I was there. Zach is the head coach at Wheeling and works yep. with National Preps. He's one of our clients. Recruited a kid named Chad Brinker from Dave Bruni to Ohio University. Chad is now, I think, the lead GM, second in control in scouting or something for the Tennessee Titans. He was with the Packers, I don't know how many years, played for the Jets. One of the best players I ever recruited and just tough as a pine knot. There ain't a child that comes off the river that ain't, ain't tough. But, yeah, that Dave Bruni, Reno Suckotch, who was the guy at, at just south of Belair? My, my brain fails me, but a lot of good people, a lot of great times, man. I really enjoyed those those years at, in Athens in the late 90s. I can't wait to pick this man's brain and uh, diving into everybody's coaching. The best all county those is years. Mahoning, though. He said it. Mahoney's the best county. Ryan, man, without further ado, get your segment rolling, man. <laughs> Here we go. So our favorite number one segment on this show, 
the pick six segment. Now, finally, we got it sponsored by our guys at Story Rivals. The pick six segment is powered by Story Rivals Sports Media. Championships, friendships, and life lessons are among the most meaningful part of the athletic competition. We are passionate about preserving them by offering the most unique highlight experience available. Story Rivals Sports Media delivers your team's content with services designed to change the way you experience these unforgettable moments now and for a lifetime. Story Rivals now offers a complete team apparel and player shop customizable to your program. Contact us by email info at storiedrivals.com to schedule an appointment with a member of our team. That's right from my, our guy Aaron right there from mm-hmm. uh, Story right Rivals. From I want everyone seeing his videos. Straight fire. And that's the thing. Like everybody knows Story Rivals as being like the premier highlight digital company in this area and maybe even Ohio. But what you don't know is all the moves that they're making now and for the future for the apparel side of things. They have somebody yes. that works hand in hand with Under Armour as one of the lead designers there. And you'd be surprised to see the things they can do for you. So coaches, if you're listening, make sure you reach out or you reach out to us and we can get you in touch with Aaron because a lot of people need to realize and respect and see the designs and what they can offer. And you'd be surprised about the total package you can do from a digital standpoint as well as an apparel standpoint. I know the Vikings. I know at the land, we're rolling with them. We're rolling with story. I know we're trying to get a hand in some others there too. And I, and and, and he's going to be at the clinic as well. It'd be a great time to talk to Aaron at our clinic here in about two weeks. So coach doesn't know what's going to hit him here. The pick six, he knows he's got six questions coming at him, but he doesn't know what they are. They're not bad, though. Some people have been put through the ringer way worse. <laughs> you We're have a real light, Coach. Real light. We're going to round robin it. Sayers, go ahead and bring out the first one for them. I'll knock it right out of the park because everybody else is wondering this question. Where did you come up with the Big O system? Where did you come up with that name, and why was that what you guys chose to go with? In 20, 2011, we get hired at Charlotte. We're not coaching that year. There's four of us, and we've got to sign an entire class of 20 scholarship players and bring in roughly 40 walk-ons. 2012, we are now practicing with 60-ish people, recruiting another class of 20 players and bringing another 20 or 30 walk-ons. Quickly realized in that 2012 year that we were going to – it was going to be difficult. I couldn't run what we ran at West Virginia and Wake Forest. These were all freshmen and redshirt freshmen. When I looked up, I was only going to have on our first game in the fall of 2013, 20 scholarship players on offense. And again, they're all young kids. What I realized as well is as we built the roster over the years, we were going to continually out-recruit them. So I might have 10 freshmen and and another 10 walk-ons playing in 2013 and starting and playing meaningful minutes. And yet the next year they might not be playing. So the vision of the big O came to us. And, and my thought was that the O was going to stand for others first. Hmm. We've got the three core tenets of team time and truth. And the first one had to be team. We had to build a team and the team couldn't be about you. If you ever read the purpose driven life, a book by Rick Warren, chapter one, sentence one is it's not about you. And so I took that, I've read that book and it's impacted my life. I took that 
stole it from Mr. Warren and made it our first core tenet or whatever you want to call it, the pillar of what we were going to do with the Big O. We were in the Big O, everyone was going to think it's for offense, no, it's for others first. And we were going to build this team because I knew in 2014 we'd sign a bunch of kids that would replace the 13 kids from a talent standpoint. We were going to start to add older kids in, in 2013 and 2014. That's when your roster, you had to build seniors in and that kind of thing. So it's just this vision, this thought that we were going to, we were going to struggle early. So we had to, we had to come up with something to not lose kids. We couldn't have a, a bunch of kids transfer on us after that first, second year after starting and becoming a backup. And so the big O system, not only from a, a schematic standpoint, but from a philosophical standpoint, was all birthed under this umbrella of starting a program, knowing we're going into the fall of 2013 as an FCS program with Division II scholarship count. And on the schedule was James Madison, Carolina, Gardner-Webb, Charleston Southern, all these reputable teams that were killing it in FCS ball. And if we didn't help those kids, they, they were not going to succeed. It's all, it's all because of Charlotte. The big O system was birthed. I love it. That's awesome. Coach, I got a question for you. So you coached a lot of positions throughout your career, and you coached offensive line, running backs, DBs, tight ends. Of all of those groups, what was your favorite position to coach? And maybe just give a, a brief reason why it's like, all right, like these guys are the best guys to coach. It's just the, the technique of it, the fundamentals of it. Was there a position you really liked to coach the most out of, out of all of them? Tie between O-line and quarterback, and for mm -hmm. two completely different reasons. But I will tell you, it, it what I learned is those are the two positions or the six people on the field that cannot have any confusion if you're going to do anything to an offensive system, those six people have got to play mentally fast. Yeah. You, you can interchange and mess with and always find another wide out H running back. I use those terms loosely. You can't always find another one, but those six are, are crucial. The old linemen were just a blast because you could hit them with a two by four. And I was a college defensive back. <laughs> and I'm, I'm at Wake Forest coaching tackles and tight ends for two years, and there's a couple of kids end up going to the NFL, not because of me, but in spite of me. But the thing that, that you could do to them is just get them in the shoots, hit a heavy bag, and, and teach them dry block progression and just seem to work. And then the quarterback, just the, the mental gymnastics of it, having four kids in a room and really having the opportunity to spend time with each if you're in a meeting room for seven straight months, five days a week, you're going you're gonna to have some downtime. We would give a quarterback on Monday. Jimmy would get to pick what he wants to hear from music in the background. And on Tuesday, Bobby got to pick. The one kid's got the country and the other kid's got the, the rap and the other kid got the, the speed metal. Watch all these kids grow together and with all their differences, figuring out how actually similar they are really miss those relationship moments but without a doubt if you ain't coached the o-line or the quarterback you're really missing something in my opinion it's like i told you donovan junkyard dogs man <laughs> yeah, you got you can love like them that. up you can treat them like junkyard dogs oh. all the same and i agree like i get to bounce i'm very fortunate i get to bounce around and i've done both and it's a very different vibe working with your quarterbacks and it is your offensive line and the types of relationships and things and Heck, uh, th this past year, our quarterback almost saw my son be born. We were having a little Zoom huddle meeting about 30 minutes where my son was born. I'm sitting in the corner of the delivery room just going over 
situations with them. And I'm like, I got to go, buddy. It's about time. See you, man. But it's just different how much closer because it's a more of a one-on-one intimate type of a thing. I, I think more of a calculated X's and O's conversation type of a thing. So the D line's way cooler to coach than this. Right. Here we go. All there right. comes a resident defensive yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, show edge guy, man. That's gotta be a blast. Yeah. That, fun. That's what I love. D line. I getting a chance when Kyle and I were together, he was offensive line coach at pick North and I was the D line coach. And we had Jack Sawyer, who's though obviously at Ohio state and, Coaching him with and Elijah Hawk, like he was another dog. Like right? he went to Western Michigan. We had two DNs that were just freak shows. It makes your life a lot. It makes your life easy, but way more fun down there with the the D linemen. The, the O linemen are just weird people to me. Okay, okay, you ain't part of that crew, baby. It's okay. We don't want you. Hey, coach, I saw you were at the latest AFCA convention this year. Yes. I've never been. I'm I'm hoping to one day get there. But I wanted to ask you. Who was maybe a speaker you enjoyed the most over that weekend and why? Unfortunately, I travel there for my company, National Preps. So okay. from 8 o'clock in the morning till 5 o'clock in the night, I was in booth 732 selling college coaches subscriptions to our scouting service. So I did not get a chance to go hear anybody speak. However, you named the assistant coach in the country, and he probably stopped by and we sat down and got out the grease pen. There's a guy out there by the name of Gunter Brewer. Gunter is uh, currently the wide receiver coach at Maryland. And Brew has probably coached at every ACC school in the country. He's just a phenomenal human being. He's a guy that spent a lot of time over there just chopping it up, talking about how hard it is to develop kids in today's game with the portal, how hard it is to build those relationships in a room that we were just talking about because it's so easy now to just up and leave and and search for more money or whatever it is concerning. But yeah, he's always been one of the guys that uh, that is is one of the best and and, and loves spending time with him and shoot countless others, Coach. I love it, man. I haven't heard that name. I can't wait to try to follow it and and follow that rabbit hole across him. So I appreciate that. There, there we go. Here's so I got my second question ready for you, Coach. You, how many years did you coach for? You said how long have you been coaching? You said fall of 1990 to 2017. Yeah, that's about. I'm not. Don't look at Kyle trying to do the math. Look at him. I just, <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave for you do the math. Circles running. I just knew in your brain right now that brain was churning when he said that. I, hey, swimming. Look, hey, I teach special ed math. It, it's, it, I'm not, I'm not going to do that right now on here. But at the end of the day, if my math calculations are pretty close, you've been either coaching longer, just as long as I've been alive. I'm only 28 years old, right? And I've been, for me, obviously, I've been at two, only two spots. I was just an assistant at Pick North, and then I took the head coaching job at only 24 years old in the city. Wow. My yeah. question to you is. Um, after all those years of coaching and, and everything, all that's involved, where was your number one spot? If you look back and sit back, what was the number one place you got to coach at? And what was the main reason why? You talking about the favorite spot in my career? Yeah, just anywhere coaching wise, just like where was the number one spot in your career coaching? It's going to be wherever Jim Grobe was. He's my mentor. I was a graduate assistant at Ohio University in, I guess it was 90, 
293. I was a full-time coach in an off-the-field role in 94 at Ohio University. That was under Tom Lichtenberg. Jim Grove comes in and hires me in 1995 full-time. That's a hell of a story that if you'd like to get into, we can. We Jim Grove was able to turn that program around with the help of a bunch of really smart coordinators and, and older assistants. I was 27 at the time and just the young loyal lap dog that would do anything. And then he got the wake job and took me with him. The, so if Jim Grove was coaching at Timbuktu, that would have been my best job. He had the right temperament of handling the kids, not with, not, not with fear, but man, he was a old country boy from West Virginia that when he put his man grips on you, it, it turned different quick. He, he just had a special gift with people. The, the people he hired, he did a phenomenal job putting personalities together. The, the seven or eight coaches that were with us at Ohio University stayed at Wake. I coached almost 13, 14 years with the same group of guys. All of our kids grew up together. All our wives still talk. The best time of my life, though, was clearly at Wake Forest. We get there in 2001. I become the quarterback coach in 2003. That's when I started coaching the Q. That program had won four or had gone to four bowl games in 100 years of ex existence. But when Coach Grove got there, I left in seven years. We went to four or five in my seven years. They went to a couple more after I left. And in 06, we went, won the ACC championship at, at Wake Forest. Grace of God stuff, man. That season, some of the games we won, we shouldn't have. The ball went the right way. The call went the right way. The wind blew the right, the right way, whatever. It, it was just a magical season. Heck, they made a movie about it called The Fifth Quarter. A kid by the name of John Abadi, whose brother died that year, and he was going to quit. John was the defensive player of the year in the ACC that year. Linebacker, kid I actually recruited out of, out of Harrison High School in Cobb County, Georgia. But they've made a movie about that fifth quarter. There's cameo pictures of us in there in the background, but they hired actors to do all the important stuff. That season and that tenure, those seven years at Wake Forest, I talked to all the guys all the time, hit them up at the convention. You know, we, we still look back and go, man, I wish we knew then what we know now because that those years were magical. Same head coach, same coordinators, same assistants, no transfer portal. No, no money bags. The Facebook had just come out like partway through our time there in like 2003. It was just ball, dudes, winning. It was awesome. Different era. Oh, I feel so bad for you <laughs> under 30s, under 40s. You, you, you know, I, got three, I got four children. I got a 27-year-old. I got a 23, a 22-year-old. And we've adopted uh, a 10-year-old. Well, we adopted him a long time ago, but he's now 10. And uh, th those four kids, they can't get away with nothing. Nothing. Anything. You, you, you only need to feel bad for Sayers and I. We're the under 30s, and there's no under 40s between us three. So don't feel bad for Stout. <laughs> Resident old man joke. Dave, I knew we weren't going to escape it. All right. Yeah, you, you didn't live unless you grew up in the 80s, brother. I'm telling you. Right. I, I caught the tail end. <laughs> 
83 is not the tail end. 88, uh, <laughs> all. Yeah. All right, I got my second question. Same light, kind of some of my first question. You coached a lot of different positions, but the second question, you coached in a lot of different places, and therefore you coached hundreds of games throughout your career, if not thousands in, at, at the college level. And so uh, did you like noon games, afternoon games, or night games better? I've always – there's always been a debate of, no, noon games are the best. No, 3.30 kicks, no, night games. This is easy. If you give any two cents about your personal time and your family, mm-hmm. it's a game at home all day long. Yep. When we were at Ohio University, and every game was a bus game, every game was a noon game, there was no such thing as Tuesday night matching. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would recruit my car, right? If we were playing at Akron, I would drive up in my car, I'll recruit Friday, game's over. Drive home. I'd be home by six o'clock for dinner on Saturday night. We that that's what every weekend was, because the only time you have to yourself is after a game on Saturday. And so if you're wasting that, we're only given so many days, right? Fifty-two weeks a year, and college coaching now they're probably using forty of them with all the official visits that have been bounced around and the, the transfer portal visits and. The, Camps and combines, boy, I don't know how to do it anymore. But you got a weekend and, and you got a chance to steal six hours with your family. Mm-hmm. Shoot, you can have those night games. I don't care how cool they look on TV. As as someone who did the Tuesday and Wednesday night match, I've I've said this for all, maybe it's a hot take, but the NCAA always talked about how much they care about student athletes. And yeah. I'm like, as someone who did those Tuesday and Wednesday night games as a player, that is perfect reason, perfect example as to why the NCAA doesn't care. It's miserable for the players. It's miserable for the coaches. It's fun on TV, and it's fun the first time, and then it's miserable after that. You guys say noon game. I just have PTSD because I'm just imagining getting fed them powdered fake eggs yeah. at team meal in the morning. So I ain't feeling good when you say noon game. It makes me nervous, man. <laughs> yeah, I, different. If I'm a player, I, I'd probably <laughs> want a 3.30 kick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, I just think terrible powdered eggs where I can't put enough ketchup or hot sauce on. And it's, do I eat this? Am I going to make it through the first quarter? If I, eat these? I don't know. When you're in a D2 school, that's what happens. Yeah. All so. coaches do not have pregame meal issues. We throw down. The coaches have it a, have a good. I already know that yeah, our coaches yeah. would go back to the office and be smashing stuff. We're over at Hamilton Hall. Yeah. I went to Ohio Dominican. And that's where I played for four years. We would go to Hamilton Hall. And I'm telling you right now, that food in there, I don't even know if you could feed it to – How anybody played a game like, on that food is amazing. You know what yeah. I mean? We've all been there. Coach, I, I wanted to dive into this. When you think about spread football, you think West Virginia and Pat White. You really do. That was about the time that spread football was really becoming a thing. But in fact, a lot of people credit what you guys did there was revolutionary and ahead of the game. And so I just want to dive in. Talk to us about Pat White. What was it like coaching him? Do you have a best story or memory that kind of goes along with that? First of all, I only had Pat for one year, basically six months, a spring and a fall. I was there his fifth year. He had played the majority of his career under Rich Rodriguez. And really, Rich Rod's the architect of the spread stuff. When we got there, Bill Stewart, rest his soul, was very smart in understanding that Pat White had taken way too many hits in his first three years. 
Pat White had the opportunity to be an NFL player. We needed to stop running Pat White as much for two, for his future and how much he gave to West Virginia. But also we had a couple kids coming up behind him, a kid named Jarrett Brown, who was going to be a fifth-year senior, who was a gunslinger. The transition allowed us to recruit a kid like Geno Smith. We recruited Geno Smith and coached him for a couple years because he saw that we weren't a running option football team in the spread. So that first year was a transition year, not only for West Virginia football, but also for Pat. But I'm going to tell you what, that, that is the most underrated pocket passer you will ever find. Coach Riley Skinner, who was a great pocket passer, coached Kevin Olson at Charlotte, Greg Olson's little brother, who was as every bit as talented as Geno Smith. Coach Geno Smith, as we mentioned, Pat White is as good a pocket passer as those human beings. He understood the game. He had the pocket presence. He would stand with balance and get on a second or third look and deliver it in the face of a three technique. And he threw for more touchdowns and yards than I think he had in the first three combined. And grace of God, he was the 44th pick in that next year's draft in Miami Dolphins. He's the second quarterback off the board, the first one in the second round. And so – with Bill's leadership in saying, Jeff, this is what I want you to do, not only for Pat, let's keep him healthy. We can still win games. Yeah, the national championship's always going to be reached no matter what. And we had lost the year before Owen Schmidt. We didn't coach. Steve Slayton was gone. Darius Raynaud. We lost three offensive linemen. But Pat was back, right? So we were supposed to be the, the best team in the world again. We were good. We were really good. We finished top 25 and beat Auburn that year on a Thursday night game. Again, at the time, we're just a Big East school. That's mid-major ball beating an SEC school. We beat Colorado the next year. We beat Maryland twice. We beat North Carolina in the bowl game. So we beat, we beat a lot of good teams. Pat was a big part of that. But really, Pat, we wanted to help Pat become an NFL guy. Check. And we also wanted to springboard Jarrett Brown and get into the ability to recruit the Geno Smiths of the world, those type of football players, because Pat's a one in a million, man. He's just, there's no one like him. No one can run like him. And I'm telling you, if, if he were two inches taller and 30 pounds heavier and didn't have a concussion problem, he, he'd be one of the better ones in the league, man. He, he was really talented as a passer. Is Pat coaching? Did I hear that at one point in time? He's coaching. Yeah, he was. He was the assistant quarterback coach with the Chargers, and, and then Brandon Staley got let go. So you know how that goes. Your head man goes, you're fired with him, and, and that kind of thing. But, oh, Pat White, by far the greatest leader on the face of the planet. We're driving from the hotel to the game. It's about a 15-minute drive through Morgantown. Of course, you got to block the streets and all that. And I'm sitting up front on the offensive bus. Bill Stewart, head coach, is on my left, and I'm in my own seat on the right of the bus right up front. And there's a couple whispers in the back, I, like nothing, man. I don't think, right? I didn't think it's not much. And Bill's starting to get the red face. Bill's about ready to go off and jump these cats for not being mentally prepared. So we're sitting back and so let me see how this plays out. Right before Bill can stand up, Pat White stands up and tells everybody, shut up. You know what? Uh, I'm trying to play a football game today. You some he got him. And I never forget Stu, a, a grown 
West Virginia, born and bred, old school, tough guy, started shaking his shoes like, oh, we're going to be good today, Jeff. We're good today. <laughs> Pat White had, every, when he spoke, Cat stopped talking. There was no thought process whatsoever to say anything in return to that human being. He has. I love it. You still, you still hear people talk about him today. Ryan don't. Ryan was still in his diapers at that point in time, but okay. it's all right, Ryan. You got a little history lesson today, okay, Ryan. No I, I was locked now. in there. I had to go to Google real quick. He had to Google who that white was. I saw the gears turning. Hey, hey, coach, I love it. That's a pick six segment brought to you by Storied Rivals, and that was a great segment to get to learn more about Jeff Mullins. But let's get into the the nitty gritty here. All right, so the remainder of really what we want to do is just talk a little bit about the Big O System. You can find the Big O System at thebigosystem.com. You can find some specific videos on CoachTube. You can follow Coach at the Big O System on Twitter. I mentioned before you got on here, my wife and I were watching a little bit of uh, game planning and practice math and situational stuff. I've dove into a lot of the videos, and that's how I found you. But Coach, talk to us about what makes the Big O system unique and possibly different from, say, other systems out there, like a Tony Franklin system or something like that? First of all, do you like that I put I'm the head coach of the Big O system? <laughs> Dude, that's okay. Look, I was thrown hey, off today not, on the Twitter. We are, we are still undefeated, coach. We are still <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it wrong. So we need to start that. I like that. Hey, look, I was crying because today I went to it and I was like, head coach of the city. I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> I've done a couple of podcasts, a ton of interviews. No one's ever called me out on that, man. I'm telling you. It's, I figured you would be sharp enough to go, bro, what's up with that? That's we, not let, we let ride. We let ride. We, hey, we like that. You like We like you to label yourself. That's right. That's right. It's 2023, yeah, baby. It's 2024, Ryan. 2024, nice Ryan. job. 2023, 24, Jesus, Ryan. Hey, you can label whatever you want nowadays. <laughs> oh, good stuff. But no, the, I think what makes us different more than anything is the communication uh, of how we do it. Tony Franklin did a phenomenal job. We have, you know, three core tenants. and so now we're going to get into those in a minute, which are crucial to this conversation. But he always did the first two, which were to go fast and to try and eliminate missed assignments. And I genuinely believe as a coach, guys, you can eliminate missed assignments with how you teach what you teach. I genuinely believe that. So what Tony did, he did a great job with wristbands. I don't know if you're familiar with the system. You could call blue one, and then you look down in blue, and if I'm the left X, it would tell me to run the curl. If I was the left tackle, it would tell me five-man pro. So you didn't have any missed assignments because you didn't hear the play. You just turned your rule, that kind of stuff. I've never been a wristband guy, cumbersome, and my goodness, if you're at the high school level or in that mid-major range, which we were for a while, you're your own secretary. You're cutting and pasting that stuff on your own. So Too much to keep up with. Yeah, no doubt. So what we did was we came up uh, with a way to basically call three plays. Our X receivers in our slot are always what we call detached, and you'll always have a group to the right of the ball and a group to the left of the ball. The H-back is always 
I should say almost, he's either attached or detached, right? So he's the one that's got to go between the two teaching methods. If you're attached, you hear a one word play call throughout the whole book. We're going to run power to the right or we're going to run power to the left. And that's all they know. The receivers to the right get a, get a tag, anything. And this is where I think we really change the game and tags. When you think tag as a coach, you think some sort of bubble screen or three-step. Well, we put the whole blocking system in as well with tags. So I could inside run block. I could outside run block. I could crack art block with different signals. Our drop back game, we can, I can run inside zone with four verts on one side and a smash concept on the other. You, you can, it's like the, that wheel at the Caesar's palace, right? Where there's a million different things. You need three sevens to pop. We've got a certain number of core runs and answer plays with the verbiage. And then we've got basically five blocking scheme tags, four or five screen tags, a bunch of three-step tags, and then some drop back tags. And as a play caller, what you can do is you can call run with this and that pass pro with this and that. And so it's a little cumbersome on the offensive coordinator. I'm not going to lie to you. You're going to have to see the bigger picture. And even I, for the first couple of weeks of installing it, we were able to, or, you know, I'd ask for forgiveness from the kids a bunch. So guys, my bad, that was a terrible call. I'll, I'll get it. Don't worry. <laughs> and sure enough, we did. But what it allows you to do is play super fast and a kid genuinely can't mess up. If you're a detached guy, you look to the sidelines from a communication standpoint, red wristband on the right wrist and a black wristband on the left wrist. We just tell you to push crack, we tell you to stalk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We tell you to run the curl. So it's very difficult to screw it up. It's very easy to go fast. And what we did was take the thought process of a very smart coach, Franklin, and try and get it out of the wristband business. So that's probably a major difference. I always felt we did the wristband my first year. My OC, Chris Roberts, who now is the DC at John Taller, he did the wristband our first year. And then we got away from him when he left and we started just signaling again and trying to go a little bit faster. I always felt like the wristband now to me, it made our kids not learn the game as much and IQ as much of football as I wanted them to because it was so accessible, right? You're just looking at your wrist. Boom, I, I go here. I run a curl. Instead of understanding full play concepts and understanding those different things, I felt as a high school coach, when my kids aren't coming with a lot of IQ already, that was already taking away from them to get the knowledge and information that we gave them. So I love signaling. I love our offense. Now we signal all our plays and do the same thing. Like our groups of receivers are set on each side. Here's another thought off of your comment. Instead of having 15 ways to align them, Sam in a three by one set with a detached, whatever, 11 personnel, 10, 12, whatever it is, but I'm three by one. And they're detached. And Ram puts this guy on and these guys off. And, and Rock puts the one in the middle on. And, and Roger does the other one. And then you have bunched. You have them tight. What we did was we said, okay, we're, gonna, we're just going to put you on the right. And we're going to give you a play call. Again, let's say it's curl. And let's say there's three people out there. 
the ex knows he's got the curl, so he knows he wants to be on and he wants to have a wide split. And so it makes him think the spacing of the curl, right? The slot has the hang crowd. So if he's in the two hole, he's going to cut his split a little bit so he can get to the middle of the field. If he's in the one hole, he's going to widen a little bit. But point being on every call, the play call told the kid on, off, normal split, wide split, tight split. Yes, we want to look like the NFL and have a condensed set, or we want to have a bunch, or we want to have a two-man stack. That's an easy tag. But for 99% of our alignments, what made it real easy was simply to make them memorize their play call, and that helped them understand the concept so much more. When you implemented this system, and I feel like the obvious answer to this question might be quarterback. So if it's the real obvious answer, then whatever your next opinion is. But was there a, a position group or a specific slot receiver maybe or outside receiver that maybe had the hardest job in learning this system or in, in, in another sense that if they didn't know their job, it could really throw the system off? And again, I think quarterback's the obvious answer. So if it is that obvious... If you got someone else that is really well, no, it's, it's a great question, coach. It's the H. He's the one that has to, you know, understand if he's attached, he listens, and then he has to formulate the verbiage of penguins being power. And on power, I've got to kick out the C gap player on the play side. And if it's coyotes, it's counter, and I've got to insert for the linebacker on, on the other side. It, those kind of things. And then if he's detached, then he has to look to the thing and, okay, if it's curl, I've got the flat. So he's the one player that does have some mental gymnastics. And it's always been my opinion that the best football's played out of 12 personnel anyway, and that your two X's, one of them's a little slot freak show and one of them's a big tall kid. And you can work them in ways where you can get the junk balls and the deep balls to the one kid and all the, jump cut stuff to the other but that but for me 12 personnel would be ideal for our system the h back is the most taxing the slot is the most dynamic our best x we put it left x because with a right-handed quarterback any middle call is a left hash call our slot is our passing strength so that's the two receiver side so two two-thirds out of the game, the left X is singled up just by natural ball placement. I often get asked, because we go fast first, you can't move your X's. That's a no. So where do you put your X's? You put your freak show tall, go get it, third down guy on, on the left with a right-handed cue. And then if you're on the right hash and it's third and 10, you have to throw it to him. You just go formation to the boundary and give him some space to work with. It's actually a really interesting point because for us and a lot of spread systems, we've adopted that idea of staying on your sides. It's actually interesting to, it's very interesting to hear the thought process behind you still have your true X, but now he's going to be to your left and here's the rationale why. So that's a really good point that me as an offensive play caller really enjoyed hearing. This, you guys are too young. People used to huddle up talk to each other, break the huddle, and run a play. We huddled it when I first started. So, yeah, I've been there. There's nothing more if, if huddle. And don't go fast first. Why are you no huddling? You're making it ex exponentially easier on a defensive coordinator to see personnel and formation. 
before the call and you're out there and everyone's reading signals and you're looking, the guys are standing around. Hell, just get in the huddle, man. There's nothing. That's exactly what we did this year. I love that you're saying this because my offensive coordinator sent it to him. Because that's exactly what we said this year. Why are we just standing in our formation when we're taking 20 seconds to call it? But then that's the thing. And, and so the rebuttal with every defensive coordinator is, I can't go fast all the time, man. We suck on defense. We need to, we need to break. We don't, we go fast first. That's a philosophy. That's a core tenant, a pillar. And if it can't go fast first, we just didn't put it in our system. That doesn't mean we go fast all the time. But from the ball being spotted to the first 10 seconds of the clock, we're going to have 11 people know how to line up, know what their play is, and with cadence be able to snap it in 10 seconds. So the DC thinks on every rep this could be fast and I've got to limit my call sheet. However, the other 75% of the time we go through an ID cadence, which was a whole other discussion on how we teach defensive ID and reading the triangle and getting it to this tag, that tag, or hand of the football off. Or we go through what everyone else does, a freeze cadence, where you mm-hmm. just count and look, hard count and look. But the problem I have is with every no-huddle team in the country, at every level, that lollygags to the line of scrimmage, that takes the whole clock, that can't get lined up right, that's looking for signals, seeing it again. If you're not going fast, there is no reason to no-huddle. Zero reason, zero benefit to no-huddle. And I would argue that it's even bad for you. And what would you that's oh. exactly. I always tell people tempo doesn't mean have to go fast all the time. Tempo means you control the tempo of the game. You can go that's fast. Hard. You can go slow. That's the hardest thing as a play caller. It took me a couple years at Charlotte in calling this system because it didn't hit until we coached at Charlotte. It took a couple years for me to realize how to use throw the curveball and, and, and the change up every now and again and when to use the fastball and why. And it's a rhythm and it's not easy, but that it, it is a fast first, not a fast all the time mentality. You're bringing up an interesting point, Coach, of something that as I sat down to think about some questions to ask you, in your opinion, what do you see is lacking or what issues do you notice about high school playbooks and system? Because I feel like a lot of the big O system is geared towards, probably it seems like a lot of high school coaches, maybe some college as well, I'm sure. But you you just mentioned one, and that was the tempo and the huddling things. But as a system that you're saying is a a proven thing that will help make you more efficient and execute better, what do you think is lacking that you see at the high school level around the country? In my head, you've asked me two questions. The first one pertains to the playbook. If your playbook doesn't start with a clear, communicative way to identify defense and how every staff is going to call the box, the perimeter, what stunt, what alignment, what coverage, how we're going to count so we can get – I always see these numbers, angle, grass, gospel-type tweets, and I'm like, yeah, duh. How do you get there as as an offensive staff? How do you – How are you counting a numerical advantage out of this offensive set with that play that was given to that quarterback? And if it's not good, how are you changing that quarterback without being Tom Brady and kill, kill, and easy in the thing? That's where 
I think a lot of people miss the boat is that your playbook better start with defensive ID. And having been a quarterback coach for so long and learning from the best, starting in the flex bone with all we looked at was if the, the run support player was out of the box, we had to arc it. He was in the box. We had to load it. I just took that mentality template and, and evolved it into more traditional offense. And, and that's what kind of takes me to the second part of what you asked, Coach, it is system. To be a system, you have to have guardrails, okay? Flexbone teams have guardrails. They're terrible at four verts. Four verts is awesome. They don't care. We're really good at the other stuff, right? Air raid teams are systems. They're really good at four verts. You ask them to run a gap play, and Mike Leach will, God rest his soul, slap you in the face. <laughs> and everybody loves gap plays. But the genius of those two groups of people is that they have guardrails because the problem then becomes the rest of us in this traditional offense and all the football we consume with our eyes. And we're all, by nature, creative human beings. And you have, okay, I got 11 guys and I can line them up all these different ways and I can have all these different personnel groups and I can have all these different motions and I can run all these different plays. What are your guardrails? So you don't have one of those Bob McAdoo call sheets and you can go out there like Lincoln Riley, like, yes. And so that's what we did. We put guardrails and our guardrails are go fast first. If it can, it ain't in the book. I want my two X's on the same side of the ball. That's a great set. We ain't running it. Why? Because it can't go fast first. This is not coach speak to eliminate missed assignments. How do you guys do that? We do it with our three tag, with our tags, our multiple tag system. We came up with a way to tell Jimmy exactly what to do and to do it where he can play fast first. And then eliminate controlled penalties. You're not going to eliminate the holds and the offensive pass interferences and all the judgment calls. But you can eliminate 12 guys on the field. You can eliminate false start, delay a game, six guys on the line of scrimmage. And then again, going into Charlotte, you got to remember 2013, I had a bunch of fresh-faced freshmen trying to block a fifth-year senior three technique. If they were thinking anything about that stuff, we had no chance. And so we just said, okay, this we're going to – the verbiage and the way we communicate is going to be so daggum easy that Jimmy can't mess it up. And when you look through our books, those three things, if you ever look at it and go, man, that that's not – it would be much easier for me to call it this way. Yes, it's a little more taxing on the OC. But your assistant coaches and your players, man, they are going to fire on all cylinders without making a mistake, allowing you to teach the combo block or the comeback route, <clears throat> the five-step drop and grabbing grass and finding your feet and, and coming to balance before the throw instead of all the different throw reads that you put in because of Thursday night football. Diamond, what's the number one thing that sets me off? Penalties is you got you got a lot of things on the oh. offense line. The, no, a penalty when there's 12 people or not enough people from oh a personnel God. grouping. Coach, well, that, I yeah, hate he, that too, Stout. That's my biggest pet peeve, like, dude. When, when we, we come, come off the sideline and we're wrong, oh I lose it. If here's, here's another thing that might help you on that. We we take the field in two groups. Our offensive line coach will stand on the ball and he'll take his five guys, 
So now you just got to count to six. And he'll fire them up. Guys, remember if coach calls counter, we want to pull the center in, in the tackle, or excuse me, the center in the H instead of the guard in the H because the block back's too hard. We give our guys a toolbox to mix that up. Same play. I don't care who pulls. I'm just calling yeah. counter. You just get those guys blocked. I've been seeing that a lot recently, especially with a lot of the Michigan stuff that's been obviously yeah, the most popular recently. It was a block back on the threes, a jet technique, and mm-hmm. the center can't get home in time. In any event, the, the old line guy gets his guys out there, and then I would quarterback stand with me. I just count five or 11 personnel, right? There's my age. Okay, here we go. Go. And so only having to count really to five instead of 11 might help you. I love it. All those extra bodies better get out of the way. I, I got to ask this because I think you see things change a lot now where teams are moving the ball really well through the middle of the field. You see it in the NFL where things are very easy in the middle field until you get to that red zone area. And that's where things have changed a lot. Either from your time or the big O, like what are your favorite red zone concepts that have been tried and true over those last 20 plus years? Yeah, I'm just going to boil it down into theory. In the run game, the key is you've got to block the perimeter. If I've got six blockers with an H-back, let's just think 11 personnel. All right, I got five in the H-back. They're going to have a 4-2 box, but because of field spacing, those two-quarter safeties are at linebacker level. It's basically fence post coverage. On the left hash, you're looking at the boundary safety in the corner. Excuse me, the wheel backer, the boundary safety in the corner. To the field, you got the Mike linebacker, the field safety, the nickel spur in the corner, and they're all you're all right there at seven yards from the ball. And so if you're calling just power and counter six-on-six box plays, you're going to be short. It's going to be difficult to run it. So either getting 12 and run those plays and block that extra hat or push the ID to where you can block that guy with maybe an outside zone or a mid zone, maybe a pin and pull. Everybody, yeah, clearly run the quarterback, clearly run some options to get the numbers back. But from a traditional standpoint where you're not worried about a mesh fumble because you can't turn the ball over down there, right? You can't give up three points. You don't want to get your quarterback beat up. Heck, they don't even want Josh Allen to run the ball on TV. That's the first thing is you've got to find a way to block that extra hat. And then in the throw game, it's all the stacked routes. The, the, the double under with the corner, the whip route with the dig. Anything that can put one of those guys in that bracket in a high low. And then you just read that guy to either nerf the ball up. I always told the quarterback down there to nerf it up. First of all, you drop, everything's condensed. There's no drops. I want you to rock your step and grab grass. Be ready to unload at any time. All the route distances shorten. If you're a tall route, you break it off a yard before the goal line. If you're a shorter route, you break it off one yard inside the goal line. So you got all that, you got a coach. But then the other thing I really liked in the throw game was three by one. Because the guy that you need to see is that weak side safety to the single receiver side. If he's bracketed up, then you got your three men over here to high low any way you want with a two on one on that safety spur or corner. If he's anywhere towards the backside guard or center, we always carried a, a one-man beater back there, whether it's the glance post, 
the whip route, the jump ball, and we could tag anything behind there. So we would carry a three-by-one set. We would six-man protect just in case it's a big zero area there. If you get a six-man protection into zero blitz, seventh man's always the adder, so it's lukewarm instead of hot. So it gives the quarterback enough time to find his one-on-one best throw. So six-man protect, tag the backside with a man beater, and build a bracket on the front side in the throw game was how we attacked in the throw game. I love it. I just pick up I, a few of the nuggets right there. I had to take the opportunity to talk down. a little red zone. <laughs> I, I saw you send I it hear to you scribbling. No doubt. I can't wait to send this stuff. You to don't me. carry the quarterback draw as well. Shame on you. Yep. That, that opens up a lot. I think, like you were saying, though, bringing that weak safety in the box and stuff in three by one, that's always something that I struggle with as a defensive coordinator, right? When you guys want to pull my mic out, right, with that number three receiver, obviously we're trying to split that end man on the line the receiver. And then now we've gotten to the point where we're talking, okay, let's just bring this weak safety over. But then you get to the point where you're fast first. It's tough to get a guy across from the formation or maybe they're huddled and they're coming out fast out of the huddle and you're not running plays fast. We've struggled with getting it, our weak safety over there because he's used to playing those slot guys. But then we got him in the box, so he's not really a traditional box player. You can run your backside counters at us. And that, that killed, I will tell you, the number one play that killed Northland Vikings this year was when people went three by one and ran Q counter weak side. It, it, we just – could not fill and lever, spill lever our stuff the way we really wanted to get it done. And we just really struggled with that side because the weak safety is not used to that. Weak side counter is just a great run, no matter three by one or whatever you're in, 12, yeah. 22, whatever. It's going to be All a great that. run a lot of times. Mm-hmm. It killed us. That was the number one play we look back this year. It's like, how are we going to stop that next year? Fast. Man. That was a that that's all great informa- information though, Coach. We appreciate you a ton, man. I'm sure Kyle can sit on here and talk to you forever. I'm not, but I don't I'm think you got sure. the time. I had a for bunch that. more questions, yeah. I had a bunch more stuff. But that's yeah. on your time. I like I said, I was telling Kyle, my my bride is uh, out of town tonight, so it's just me and the ten year old. I'm the soft one in the family, anyways. I'm always giving him extra bowls of ice cream and letting him watch the PG 13 movies while mama's gone. So he's a happy camper right now. My wife's yelling at me. <laughs> I'm going to be definitely hitting up Jeff a little bit and watching some more stuff. I got a, a big a big secret thing I've been working on. And, and from a little bit of his, a little bit of that is the practice math, practice planning. I've broken down our last two years, seeing how many times we've called situations and trying to reverse engineer that into our game planning and be more efficient and putting that into more of a, we're only averaging 2.3 third in shorts on, a, on in our, across the last two years. Why are we coming up with five? You know what I mean? And, and five and minutes every week. Yeah. And so I, I, that's what, that's been my big off season focus. So that's, I enjoyed watching your, your game playing video along with some other coaches as well. And, and putting, that's been my pursuit because, you know, I feel good about our system, but just always looking for ways to be more efficient in it. That's the key. I, you said it right there. And, and again, you can – systems just guardrails. Right? Systems just little basic math. I know you defensive guys ain't real sharp over there. Mm-mm. Now, we we lucky. We have a two-point chart to do the counting on our side, so we ain't real sharp either. 
Yeah, I was about to say, let's hold on a second because <laughs> the guys ain't that sharp either. I didn't mean to crack on you. No, honestly though, it it the 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 practice math is probably the other than the defensive idea and how we read read the triangle that fits any system. In the practice math and, and kind of that situation schedules and scripts book that we provide, again, any system. And, and it all goes back to end of, years of end of season cutups and figuring mm-hmm. out what we call the black zone goal line to minus 10. We're running nine times a year. And, and I'm spending 35, 45 minutes a week looking at it. I'm spending 10 minutes a week, 20 minutes a week on practice, putting in new stuff for it. Because you're scared to death if you're on the one-yard line, what are you going to call? It's third and seven, you're on the two-yard line, what are you going to call? That's over for us. Our kids could call black zone. And as God is my witness, you look at the stats of us coming out at Charlotte in seven years, we were 100%. 100% meaning get the first first down, right? First goal is to get it to the five. Second goal is to get it the first down. 100% on that. And then, shoot, I don't know how many times we started to drive on it. And then identifying those field zones based upon data, right? And then you feel like, okay, shoot fire. I've got 50 normal down and distance calls, first and second down. I'm going to call a couple of those twice. In our system, we can change tags and nothing's new, right? And, and, and so based upon the head coach saying, Jeff, you're going to get 30 minutes of team time. All right. For us, we can get eight plays done in five minutes. So we can get 24 plays in 15 minutes. I'm a left hash, right hash guy. So we're going to run the exact same play on the right hash for the other tackle, being front side, et cetera. We're only carrying 24 plays in the game. What? No, that's it. Why? The math says we don't really need any more because I can call all 24 twice and that's 48 i can add three temples on each one that's over 130. in our system you can pick from a gold zone or another special situation and call it on normal down to mix it up we don't go the other way if it's coming out it's coming out those are your only four calls right if it's normal down though you can go the other way in seven years of using it with only 24 normal down and distance calls, 48 calls total on the call sheet could get done in an 18 period practice every day and feel completely ready from the end of the game. Father play with all the hooks and ladders. If you need it to the minus one where we're going to run the quarterback sneak to give our, our punter some room, everything covered every week. It's, and it was just, those two years of sabbatical at Charlotte in 2011 and 12 really changed my world. It just opened my eyes. I was able to go see Chad Morris was the OC at Clemson at the time. And he let me come in like in the fall, like when it mattered, not spring ball where, you know what I mean? This is fall. We got to win this weekend. And I just sit back there like a GA and scribble like a son of a gun, man. With that four colored big pen, where'd he go? Right there. I scribble like a son of a gun with that thing. Um, Lincoln Riley was the OC in East Carolina. All of our to go fast, they, you don't want to just be two formations and go fast first like an air raid guy. So we have motion formations and unbalanced formations and tackle over formations that can go fast first with the way we call them and teach them. All those things came from those guys, not from me. 
the defensive ID came from all those flex bone guys. I've just been so blessed to have been around enough people that we just mashed this thing together into about a 140-page playbook. And I, I, I'm telling you, is is gold plated, but it, it it can help you. That's for sure. I love it. There's a lot of good info and, and coaches, like I said, dive into the Big O system, sample some of the things out there on YouTube about it. If you like anything you heard, and Coach even says on his, on his website, a great place is to go to the Coach Tube, and you can dive into some of the videos to get a sample and learn more. And that's a little bit of what I've done. I'd say in this past off season, even the last year, but. Coach, I want to thank you so much for coming on. You'll probably be hearing from me again. I might dive in and pick your brain a little bit about uh, some of the situations and practice math and maybe how it applies to a smaller time at the high school setting a little bit. As we just finished, we just want to thank Fundraising University for sponsoring and empowering the show. Storied Rivals, our, our brand new sponsor as well. We're excited to host our first football clinic here. We've got about 50 to 60 of you signed up, and we want to keep seeing that grow here in two weeks. Reach out to any one of us to get signed days, up for baby. that. Mm -hmm. 10 days. Uh, here we go. It's already on us. So make sure you subscribe. Make sure you follow us. Make sure you check out Coach. Make sure you check out the Big O system. And uh, everybody have a great night. Appreciate you guys.